1: Hello and welcome to Forever Thirty Five, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Dori Shafrier. and I'm Kate Spencer, and we're not experts. We're just two friends. We
0: like to talk a lot about serums, and this
1: is a mini episode where we hear from you. We share your comments and thoughts, and we answer your questions to the best of our ability.
0: And please do remember, we are not experts, we are just podcast hosts, and we really always encourage you to seek support, from first and foremost, from a doctor and or a mental health professional as needed.
1: And if you do want to reach us and get our advice, our voicemail number is 781 591 and our email is
0: forever35podcast at gmail.com. We are going to kick things off talking about butts. Oh yeah, we are. Talking talking butts. Because the butt mask conversation will not die. In fact, it just keeps going and going. No. And in fact,
1: as I texted you the other day, Kesha has been doing butt masks in lockdown,
0: and she has her boyfriend apply the butt mask. Which makes a lot more sense. I'm not sure when I did this, but which Kesha, I think did the butt mask that I did. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I believe it was the same butt sheet mask. And applying it yourself really makes no sense. And I also did it while standing and sitting in a chair. And I believe she like lays on a bed and her partner puts the mask on her butt. That clearly is the way to do it. I'm not sure why my brain did not figure that out. (laughs) But here's another uh, another good suggestion that a listener has shared with us. They write on the topic of butt masks. I am sometimes prone to butt a.k.a. butt acne, especially during the summer when temps are hotter and I am actively waxing. I have been known on occasion to use a detox mask on my bum to prevent this irritating and embarrassing condition. Not a sheet mask, however, as I can see the logistical challenges with using one, even if specifically geared to be used on the bum. But I can attest that using a face mask on your bum works in the same way it does when you use one on your face. My go to is the Cowdly Instant Detox Mask, but masks forever. Wow. Forever. <sighs> well, this just changed things for me. I mean, have you ever thought about using a face mask on your never. bum? Never. Me neither, and I get butt. Everyone gets butt. I mean, I don't know what your butt knee is like, listener. I don't wanna presume I've experienced it, but like I get the occasional butt pimple. Sure. And I've always just been like, well, I guess you live there now. I never thought about treating it. So very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I like all these suggestions. Moving on to a different topic. That but one that we have not discussed. I don't think no. ever on forever 35 sunless tanners. Mm-hmm. That was the type the subject of the email. This listener writes to us. I just came to the starting realization that there is a crucial part of skincare. We have not dove into yet sunless tanners exclamation point times three. I have more time than usual during this self isolation. And since I won't be visiting a beach anytime soon, I'm whipping out the self tanners for a little pep. I would love to hear some recs of easy to use and effective self tanners or an in-house comparison test. I've had good luck with Tart tanners, but I am trying out Isle of Paradise and will report back. Curious to hear what others are using out there. I'm curious too. I'm curious too because I don't use anything like this. I don't either um and and actually i i'm incorrect i believe the, the title of this email referenced bronzers and so it made me think oh. about like what we may be putting on our cheeks but then our face but then i believe they're also talking about like all over sunless tanning yeah i think they are now has tanning ever been a thing for you like no. not tanning like have you ever like bought the Jergens self tanner yes. so and like put it on okay back
1: in the day i mean we're probably talking like early mid-aughts when i feel like everyone was yep. using that jurgens sunless tanner i would use it i felt like it always looks sort of streaky on me mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i i was never a huge sunless tanner person how about you
0: I also went through a phase of putting that jerk and stuff all over my body, but I have, I've never gotten a spray tan. I've always wanted to, but I, I just have never like, I've just so just never gotten around to it. I don't even know where to begin. I've gotten two spray tans in my life. One, I
1: got in the early to mid odds <laughs> before a friend and I were going on a trip to Atlantic city <laughs> when I lived in Philadelphia Wow. And I loved the spray tan. Like I thought it was amazing and I was also like, "Oh, this is what it would be like to be tan. Like this is this is fun." Um didn't get another one for probably 10 years or so. And then when I was at BuzzFeed, someone else was doing an article about spray tans and they got like a spray tanner to the stars to come in and they asked if anyone wanted to get a spray tan and i volunteered and it looked so bad it looked horrendous oh Oh my god it was way too dark okay i looked i i i like i didn't look like myself like i felt like and maybe over over the years i have now like Romanticized this original spray tan but i felt like what was great about my original spray tan back in 2004 was that it, i still like looked like myself and this was just like what has happened i look like tan mom remember tan mom
0: oh remember tan mom i'm like fully up on tan mom oh, what's she doing now i mean she's like releasing songs and occasionally appearing on the howard stern well, show you know what good for her she's still so tan <laughs> I believe she is wow okay but but yes I do remember tan mom
1: yeah so that was my last experience and I was just like what no (laughs) um so, so you didn't get a spray tan like for your wedding no I didn't okay okay I mean I know a lot of people do that but I was just like nervous that it wasn't gonna turn out well and then you're like stuck
0: yeah, this is my fear. This is why I've never done it. And I, I also like, for example, I used to wear the Stila bronzer as like my blush. Like, I don't think I even owned blush. That was just what I used, and I really liked it. But now I get confused over the way bronzer is used to contour. Mm. Like, I feel like I feel like the the way we use makeup is evolving, and I'm still in like 2004, and so I don't quite have a sense of what i would do with it like i did watch kim kardashian's um like basic makeup routine video and then i tried to emulate it at home and it looked like i tried to make a three on my face with some bronzer and it looked very stupid like i don't st- i'm still not good at contouring although maybe i should take a contouring zoom class didn't now that we that that's like my- didn't we discuss that we were
1: going to learn how to contour <laughs> during yes lockdown?
0: i've tried yes i watched this video and i was like this this was like her own doing contour herself so i thought i could at least figure it out as opposed to like a makeup artist i couldn't i had no idea what was happening (laughs) so there you go Uh, uh. so anyway this is a this is a spot where we would love some listener feedback yeah we would love to tell us What are you doing for sunless tanning? Are you doing it? Is this still a thing? What do you like? What don't you like? Tell us everything. What should we get? Because I would, I am totally game to get a bunch of stuff and try it out for the sake of the pod. I just am not sure where to begin. So I'm ready. Okay, great. I'm ready to experiment. Okay. Dory. I think you've got to read this. uh, this Oh, I'm happy to.
1: I've been reflecting lately on the act of journaling, and I think you two are the perfect people to reflect with me on this. When I was a child, I used to try to keep a diary as documentation of my life. Growing up in the 90s with Nickelodeon, I was inspired by the movie Harry the Spy, I wanted to have the dedication that Michelle Trachtenberg's character had with her writings. However, I was never very disciplined. My diaries were sporadic, and I judged myself harshly for that. In my mid-twenties, I hit a rough patch in my life, and my other wonderful sister, Hope, gifted me a journal to help me work through my anxieties. Something clicked, and I stopped writing for posterity or documentation, and I started writing to get things out of my head. I stopped worrying about continuity. I would mention people or places or events without preamble for my quote audience. In fact, I began thinking of my journals as things that I would never even myself read again, often because I assumed it would be too painful to revisit them. Journaling has been a great way for me to clear the junk out of my head. Now that we are in this unique time in history and I'm expecting my first child, this feeling that I should be writing for an audience has crept in again. I have the urge to think more of my writings as documentation that will be meaningful to someone else at some point. I'm definitely not a dance like no one is watching kind of person. And this perspective is stifling. Dory, I know you've been dabbling with journaling more lately. And since you are both writers, I'm so curious to hear what you think of on this question of quote audience for journaling. Do you write for no one like I prefer or for future you for your children or historians? I would love to hear from other listeners as well.
0: Well, 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 who do you write? Who do you write in your journal for Dory? I think I write for future me. Mm, I think I do too. I feel like writing for no one. Uh, I mean, I kind of am doing that cuz I'm not really thinking about the intended reader. Right. But ultimately the intended reader is going to be future me. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, Hopefully and I say, say that
1: as someone who still has like I, you know, I kept journals pretty much through through college like inconsistently, but I have journals through college. Um, and I do enjoy a like not all the time, but like occasionally I have gone back and looked through the journals and it, like, it is really wild to look through them and read them and like, re- not just read about, you know, your state of mind, but like what you were doing and who you were hanging out with. And I don't know, I, like, I just find, I just find it really interesting. Um, but I am also, you know, I like history and I like documents and so documentation
0: of myself I obviously find interesting too. <laughs> yeah, I you know when my my parents gave me a journal the the Christmas while I was living at home when my mom uh had pancreatic cancer and so I have a journal that kind of starts about 3 months before my mom died and it is really Because that time in my life was so fraught and I don't remember anything from it, it is actually really moving to go back and read it. Mm -hmm. It's also very hard and miserable, but it is really interesting to just see what my state of mind was during that time. And I also have kept journals on and off my whole life. I mean, I do think you do have to be prepared for if you are no longer around someone else reading it you know mm-hmm. like that is a reality that could happen yeah. um have i ever told you dory about how i accidentally left my journal at someone's house and then they had it for a whole summer no i <laughs> told you this i don't think so oh, yeah yeah i left it at a guy that i like dated for like four weeks in college i accidentally left my journal oh, this... at his house and it was like all about how i hated him and then he gave it back to me eventually and then like at one point he got drunk and apologized <laughs> me oh I think, I think you did journal. tell me this story it's such a great story <laughs> oh it's so humiliating so like you just never know you might leave your journal at a, a guy's house who you made out with a couple times uh, when you're 19 and
2: uh, he's probably gonna read
0: it so what an interesting question yeah. though I'd never thought about it you know I as I write now I am and I feel like you're kind of doing this maybe with your one line a day like it is also nice to think of your kids having access to it so they know what they were like and what they were doing yeah Totally. All right, we've got final email here before we take a little break. This actually Dory, I feel like this one you're going to have so many answers for. Oh, it's a two-parter. This person writes, my 24th birthday is next month and I'm dreading it. My birthday brings up a lot of bad feelings and memories. I was that kid that didn't have any friends at their birthday party and ate lunch alone through most of high school. I've always been someone that had a hard time making friends. It's a problem that has accumulated so much hurt and sadness in my life that I actually started seeing a therapist last year because after graduating from college and moving to L.A., I was so depressed about my lack of friends. My therapist was a great encouragement for me and helped me and helped me make positive changes in regards to my social life. I joined a book club and reconnected with people I knew from college that also lived in LA. I now feel like I have a few people that I consider friends, but I admit I am not entirely happy about the status of my social life and quarantine hasn't made it easy. Now for the birthday conundrum. I finally had some people to invite to my birthday party and we can't do anything because of quarantine. Last year my boyfriend and I ate fancy Italian food and went to an Elton John themed dance party in Silver Lake and it was truly great. Generally, on my birthday, I stare at my phone all day taking mental note of all the text, emails, and calls I am not getting from people, and I try to go out and keep myself distracted so I don't spend too much time on my phone. I am lucky enough to be in quarantine with my boyfriend, but I have no idea what we should do that day to distract myself from the birthday sadness that I always get. I don't like the idea of doing a Zoom game movie night because I think it would be better for me to try and avoid any screens that day. So I guess my questions are this. Do you have any ideas for how I should spend my birthday? And is there a way to cultivate new friendships while in quarantine?
3: Mm.
1: Interesting questions. Um. Well, I mean, you could, you could. My, so, my birthday. As we're we're recording this, a couple days before my birthday, um, and uh, my plan is to have like a quote unquote fancy meal at at our house. Um, that my husband will go and pick up from one of our favorite restaurants, and we'll eat it. I might get dressed up. Maybe we'll watch a movie, but it's just going to be the two of us. I'm also not having a zoom birthday thing because it seemed like overwhelming to plan. And, um, yeah, so we're doing that. I think also, you know, now you can, you can go hiking with a mask. So maybe if the weather's nice, you and your boyfriend could get outside, be in nature for a little while, um, on your birthday. And that, that could help distract you from all the texts that you say that you're not getting, which is so sad. I'm sorry that you feel that way. Um,
0: Kate, do you have other suggestions? Well, this is kind of a larger thought that, and maybe this has already come up in the work that you're doing with your therapist. But one thing that is hard for me to remember is that even like, we are the same person that we were when we were younger, but we're also not. And that um, experience that that feeling that you had that you struggled to make friends. I feel like, how do I phrase this? It doesn't have to be your story anymore. If that makes sense. Does that make sense story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like you, like the, anyone that you become friends with now as an adult, they don't know. Uh, Like, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, I know what you're trying to say. I'm- like you,
1: you are. You can write a different story about yourself.
0: Yeah, and I I feel your pain very deeply. Like when I read this, I understand a lot. I, I I birthdays for me have never really been something I'm very into. But the the hurt and sadness that we feel when we're young that is so that is part of us now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can also we can bring it with us, but also kind of move forward in a different direction away from it, I think. And I think the truth about your social life as a younger person does not necessarily need to be your truth as an adult. Mm -hmm. So I would say any way to cultivate new friendships while in quarantine, can you initiate some connection with the people that you are already friends with? And are there groups or activities that you could do or join that might help you foster new relationships. I also know, and we've talked about this on our show, there are like apps for just friend making that I think could be really beneficial. Yeah, Bumble BFF. Yeah. We haven't I don't know if we've ever heard from anyone who has tried it, and admittedly I have not tried it. So I don't want to speak as if I know that it's going to work for you, but I like what what do you have to lose like and you know anybody who's on an app is serious like that is serious about like cultivating real relationships Mm -hmm. and real friendships
1: yeah i think that that's a great suggestion
0: but happy birthday to you listener we're thinking of you and we are celebrating you and look there is a forever 35 los angeles facebook group we'd love to have you join great idea meet some peeps in there that's a great idea. All right. Well, thank you, Doris. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's take a pause. Okay. Let's take a pause. We're going to come back and talk about friendship. Can't wait. Quality sleep is essential.
2: That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
0: Get warm weather ready with quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-U-I-N-C E.com slash forever thirty-five to get free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Quince.com slash forever thirty-five. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, Even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden Our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35.
1: Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer.
0: It's happening so fast.
1: It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more Use our exclusive link to get 20% off, honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them, and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started, so shape your life with Honeylove.
0: Okay, so on a previous mini episode, we read a listener email who was dealing with a toxic sister-in-law. And we received a lot of responses to this. And the ones that we're sharing today offer kind of a different point of view than what we shared or what we expressed. And I thought they were really interesting and informative and helpful. So um, we're going to kick things off with a voicemail um, from someone who could relate to the sister-in-law's perspective.
4: Hi Cat and Door, I'm calling to weigh in about the caller whose sister-in-law cut her off because she said she wasn't supportive enough. I really feel for the caller, that's such a tough thing to have to deal with and there's nothing worse than getting completely cut off from someone. Not even able to discuss it or hash out feelings, just no contact, that's really harsh and hard. However, I also have a lot of empathy for the sister-in-law. She's probably feeling incredibly vulnerable right now, Um, not only because she's about to give birth and there's a pandemic, but especially because she's about to give birth after losing a parent. There's something so raw and that just reaches a really deep, hurt place after losing a parent, um, preparing to be a parent again, and coping with the fact that your parent is not going to be in the delivery room, your parent is not gonna hold your baby. It's just incredibly tough. And I think that, I'm saying this because I was that person last year, and I just had so much anxiety and so much pain and so much fear that this joyful moment would end up being a really sad one because my parent wasn't going to be there and I, I couldn't fathom that I was going to have this major life event without my parent. Anyway, that's just to say that also sometimes when you're grieving, it's a lot easier to be angry and to try to blame people than to actually feel the sadness and just the fact that there's no way around it. Your parent isn't coming back and it's really tough. So I just want to throw that out there because I think that the sister-in-law, while she should certainly be behaving more like an adult and in a more mature way, sometimes when you're grieving, it's hard to be mature because you feel like a vulnerable child again. And I think that for the sake of the caller's relationship with her brother, she should give it another shot with the sister-in-law and just continue to be supportive and, you know, not swallow her feelings, but just try to see it from the other point of view. I just agree it does suck though. (laughs) I I would be so angry if I was the caller. Anyway, love the show. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Cheers.
0: What a nice perspective. Yeah, and you know, I I do understand this in some way. I lost a parent before I had kids, and then I had a kid, I don't know, like two and a half years after my mom had died. And I I get it. I I get the way grief can make you feel. So I I appreciated this reminder for sure. Um I don't know if it justifies the sister-in-law's actions, yeah. but I do think it can be it can help to have understanding and and empathy in that regard for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. It's so tricky, right? Like but I think like both it's one of those like both
0: things can be true situations. Yeah, totally. So All right, we received another really interesting voicemail about um, being labeled a toxic friend. Hi, Kate and Dory. I did just
2: want to call in to join the conversation going on in this forum about having that single friend in a friend group that is causing some toxicity to the relationship. I do want to encourage us all to take a moment and see if we can reframe the idea of a toxic friendship in the first place. The reason I bring this up is because I feel like there's so much hidden complexity and a lot of what we end up coming to our conclusions based on, you know, our own feelings and our own experiences, anecdotes in a way that are really unverified. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is listening to these last few episodes have been pretty hard for me. Uh, it was during college that I think that I was pinned as the toxic friend in a group. Um, It resulted in basically my entire friend group, my singular college friend group, who I was really deeply close with, uh, ceasing to talk with me and engage with me uh, pretty much all in one stroke after I had a falling out with a specific friend. I did want to bring this up. This is tough for me to speak about, but actually it was during that time in college when I first experienced my first really significant episode of depression and I didn't really understand what was going on. What I did know was that I felt different, and what I did see is that my behaviors changed. But it was a challenging time. It's a challenging illness, and I think I had a lot of growth and learning to do. I can certainly acknowledge that um, unpleasant is probably an understatement for how you would describe what I was like during that time. But I've had many, many years to think about this, and I'm still really deeply stung by that loss of support and friendship and love during the time when it was a really deep crisis for me. So I do want to just encourage everybody to take a step back and, you know, do whatever works for you. Sometimes there are friends that are not giving you value. And I want to encourage you that if you feel that you need to step away, but also give some people the benefit of the doubt, um, and even though some people don't want to be helped at any given moment and you can't force people to be helped, there, there might be something else going on. So I thank you for hosting this conversation and letting us have a really meaningful dive into some of these complexities around friendship and mental health and uh, support and feeling welcomed and loved and uh, respected. So thank you so much.
0: Mm. Thank you for that you. listener. Yeah, I was so moved after listening to that um, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing that with us because um, and and sharing the other side of that kind of situation and I do think um, I know in my in my life that there have been times where I've uh, I've decided I can't be friends with someone and in hindsight I've realized that, they were having an issue with their mental health that I did not understand. And I was interpreting that as them being like a shitty friend. Mm. And I have a lot of um, regret about that. And so I really just want to like give an extra thank you for you for, to you to for weighing, for weighing in and sharing that perspective. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, the dialogues on this show, I have to say like, this, I do appreciate that we can go deep here. So th- yeah. I, thank you for being you know, a part of that. We have one more um, person who had thoughts on this idea of the toxic friend. Um, they write, I had a very good friend for maybe a year or so in college who was a trusted confidant to my face. After a few instances of conflict in my other relationships and not understanding why, I came to find out that this friend was twisting and in some instances straight up lying about things I had done or said and relaying them to other people in my life. One of the things that other friends told me this person had said about me once we got to the bottom of the issue was that I am a toxic person. I stopped talking to this friend and I don't regret it. My interpersonal conflicts basically disappeared, but the concept of a toxic person has haunted me ever since. I think the main problem I have with it is that once someone gets diagnosed as toxic by anyone, it's a scarlet letter. From where I'm standing, it doesn't really mean anything other than that person saying it doesn't like the person they're talking about. But it does let that person off the hook. Once you say someone is toxic, it also absolves you of the nuances of conflict and makes all the gossip and harmful behavior you do toward the toxic person good and justified. This isn't to say that the sister-in-law and friend in question aren't in the wrong or aren't narcissists. They very probably are, but I'm interested in what toxicity means to you guys. How would you define a toxic person? Is it a fatal or curable affliction? Is it sometimes just a cop-out? It's a term that gets thrown around a lot, and I think it might be interesting to discuss. Hmm. Hmm. I think... In my opinion, the way I have defined someone who is toxic um, for me is someone who uh, This is. – I'm going to pull from literally a book that I've read to my children, and I forget the name of it. I will find out and make sure we have it linked in the episode blog post on our website. But it's about people who either fill up your bucket or remove things from your bucket, and someone who fills your bucket is someone who makes you feel good, and someone who – depletes your bucket is someone who makes you feel like crap. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I have had friendships or relationships where someone is constantly putting me down, making me feel bad, belittling me, humiliating me, um, that those relationships have been quote unquote toxic gossiping about me in a way that, um, is hurtful, setting me up against other people. Those kind of instances. Um, So that is how I have defined it for myself. But I do agree with this listener that it does get the word does get thrown Mm -hmm. around a lot. Yeah. And 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 can be used to kind of describe any kind of behavior. And you're right. It does become an easy it can be an easy out for dismissing a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting point of view.
1: Yeah, I appreciate Mm -hmm. this.
0: How do you define toxicity in a person, Dory? Well,
1: I think all the things that you mentioned are, to me, seem clearly toxic. Um, I think also someone who... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Someone who you feel like you have to walk on eggshells around... Mm-hmm. Um, because you never know how they're going to react to something that you say, um, or do, um, and makes you, and make you feel like you're the the bad guy, quote unquote, um, for things that are kind of objectively not bad, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm someone who's manipulative in your friendship, um, someone who, who does things that are destructive and, you know, and I, and I think a lot of these things are intertwined with like some mental health issues, but like, again, in the sort of like both things can be true thing that I like to say, (laughs) like, you know, someone can be struggling with mental health issues and, and, still be an asshole to you and yeah you know you can you can choose how to react to that um i think we can have empathy and also have boundaries
0: good point point. and I, I also think that you know for me friendships are fl- can be fluid mm-hmm. like i like i'm not ever tr- i have cut uh, people out of my life before but i i also think you can be open to the relationship evolving and returning when you're both in a different place. Yeah. That's a good point too. Well, let's pause our conversation one more time for ads. And then when we come back, we're transitioning to the sexy topic of feet. (laughs) One of my faves. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're All back. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Dory, take it away. Oh, don't mind if I do. Hi, Cat and Dora. I knew I had to write in when Kate talked about her foot woes during your historic Madeline Albright episode. I, too, had been in a vicious dark toe polish pedicure cycle pre-COVID. I was afraid to take off my polish myself because I had a feeling I wouldn't like what I saw. Dear podcasters, I was correct. In mid-March, when shelter-in-place orders came to San Francisco, my toenails looked just as Kate described hers down to the weird white patches and yellow tone. I never received a formal diagnosis, but I suspect fungus was part of the issue. Despite hearing that it doesn't work, I rolled the dice on topical nail treatment, specifically funga nail. I've been applying twice daily since removing that last pedicure and have almost completely cured what my husband tenderly calls my foot secret. I know a big part of it was growing out the diseased nail, but did notice that the white stuff was significantly improved with application just after a week. Also, for what it's worth, I was intrigued by yoga toes after Dory mentioned it on an early episode. Personally, I've noticed a slight improvement in my hammer toes and definite improvement in my plantar fasciitis. Is that how you say that?
0: I believe so. That's how I've always said it. Okay, great. Good work.
1: Especially when I do a session on days I run or go for a long walk. If curing my foot secret is the only goal I reach during quarantine, I will consider myself hugely productive. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I'm very happy for you.
0: Me too. And also it made me think like, I got to buy that on my next essential shopping trip. <laughs> you have to buy nail. Yeah. I've never heard of I it. Think maybe. I think maybe I got to do some fungal work on my toes. Okay. I'm here for that. Thank you, Dory. Thank You're you. So All right. Let's, um, let's share this voicemail because this story I feel like is really going to enlighten us even further about your number one product, Yoga Toes.
3: Hi, cat and door. My name is Shana. I'm a first time, long time. Um, also a fellow Angelino. And as such, I'm naturally also a yoga teacher. Um, I was listening to the episode today and you guys were getting into the discussion about yoga toes and your feet. And I just wanted to call in and give you a little tip that, um, the yoga toes help you to, um, break up the fascia and the connective tissue in the bottom of your feet that starts to build up when we wear shoes and when we don't stretch our feet when we wear heels from standing all day from sitting all day all sorts of things that we do that aren't actually good for our feet and all of the energy and muscles and tendons and ligaments everything in your body connects down into your feet and sort of help your body tell it what to do so um, if you don't stretch your feet if you aren't using your yoga toes then you're sort of Working against everything in your body, not just your feet. Your feet help your whole body. So if you don't have yoga toes, another thing that you can do is get on your, sit on your knees with your feet under your butt and then lean forward, curl your toes completely underneath so that the bottoms of your feet are open and stretching and just sit on your heels. You can do this for 30 seconds to a minute every day and just take deep breaths. Maybe work on your to-do list, your grocery list, whatever it is you need to do that day. And then release them, tap the tops of your feet out onto the floor. And it will be incredibly helpful. And you don't have to buy the yoga toes. So anyway, I hope this is helpful. Thank you guys. I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time.
0: Bye.
1: That is a great stretch, the one she described. It's so painful. It's so painful. It's like, it so is impossible painful. for me to do.
0: Yeah, I was thinking like when I heard this, I was like, oh, I got to do that. I got to stretch out these feet. Yeah. My feet. This was such a great explainer. Such a
1: great explainer. And my my feet love quarantine because I (laughs) I only I only wear either like slippers or super comfortable shoes. So like, (laughs) I feel like my feet are just like, yes, thank you. Finally, you're not wearing those like touch like shoes that squish your toes or heels or like, you know, I'm just like. My feet are just like, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy for your feet. Thank you so much, Kate. I'm happy for my feet, oh. too.
0: And I, I think we should all be doing this stretch. It is something you can do at home without owning yoga toes. Yeah. So that is a, you know what? It's a money saver. And uh, I can basically last like 10 seconds in that pose. So it,
1: it the really fact that hurts. this
0: listener can do, a, can do a to-do list while doing it is <laughs> a testament to their <laughs> ability as a yoga teacher.
1: <sighs> Um, no, thank you for this
0: voicemail. Yeah. Well, Dory, I think that brings us to the end of our journey. Yeah. Here, it's been quite a journey. It
1: has. It's been such a pleasure going on this journey with you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> yep, 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 yep. There we go.
1: All right, listeners. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We love to hear from you. Yep. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>